On the program tonight, we're going to talk about family lessons. Yeah, we're going to, but we're going to learn those lessons from some people who lived a long time ago. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis, look at a lot of family situations that are mentioned there, and see what we can learn from them. All right, we're looking forward to the discussion. We're going to get started on it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday july 29th 2021 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad great to be with you jacob glad that you're here kyle's behind the controls welcome kyle it's good to be here yeah we're glad that you're here and we're glad you're listening tonight we want to hear from you uh 877 Three eight one four five six seven is the best way to have your voice heard. Toll free eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com or in the chat window to the bottom of your video feed. We don't hear from people on the phone very often, yeah. but it always makes the program better. But any comment makes the program better. But we especially yeah. like our phone callers. And um, well, you need to do a little housekeeping. Yeah, before we start into our topic for tonight, uh, we, we've got an event going this this weekend here at College View. We've got what we call a gospel meeting. I think most of our listeners are familiar with the concept of a gospel meeting. It's just basically some extra services where we have additional preaching uh, this week, tomorrow night, Friday, Saturday night, and then Sunday. So it's what we call a weekend meeting. We're going to have... Paul Smithson from Tullahoma, Tennessee, will be here. Paul's a great preacher. He's just really interesting to listen to. He, you you will be surprised how fast the time passes by when you sit and listen to Paul. He's just very easy to listen to and makes fantastic applications of biblical truths. Paul will be here Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 7. Our regular time is Sunday morning. He'll preach at 9.30 and then again at 10.30. Then we'll move our evening service up from our normal time of 6 o'clock till 2.30 uh, on Sunday afternoon. So there'll be five lessons in a short period of time. And I think you'll really benefit from them. If you're within the blackout zone of Middle Tennessee. You got that worked out yet, Kyle? The, well, we were teasing about that last yeah, week. Yeah. We'd like to black out yeah. the the live stream from Middle Tennessee so that if you're in Middle Tennessee, you need to come to Columbia to hear these lessons, but we obviously can't do that. We're going to be live streaming the lessons as we typically do, but if you're within a driving distance of, of Columbia, we hope you'll come at least for one of those sessions and uh, join us as we study from God's Word. We think it'll be a great weekend. Yep. All right. Looking forward to hearing his uh, his lessons. He's, a, he, as you mentioned, a, a good speaker down-to-earth, good uh, practical lessons, uh, worthwhile. Uh, you need to make plans to be here uh, this weekend. All right. Okay, so to our topics. I, I picked out 10 family-type situations in the book of Genesis. You know, the book of Genesis, we believe the very earliest parts of Genesis 
happened 6,000. We believe Adam and Eve. If we take, if we, if we sort of construct the, the chronology of, of, of the Bible and, and, and you can do a pretty fair job of that. Certainly back as far as Abraham and almost certainly all the way to Adam. Uh, these, these are ancient accounts, thousands of years old. We think, uh, uh, that Genesis is 6,000 years old, some of it. Uh, we think the creation was probably, the creation week was probably about 6,000 years old. It could have been a little longer than that, certainly not millions or billions of years as right. evolutionists teach. But these are old accounts, thousands of years old, of families that lived and their stories told in the book of Genesis. First of all, they're real people. These things actually happened. This is not mythology. This is real. But what's what's striking is that their stories are applicable to the modern day. I mean, we, we'd like to think we we have come so far. We are so uh, illuminated. We're so intellectually advanced. We're so sophisticated. No, things are about like they always have been, and and yeah. we can learn we're from like, these people. We're like we're not like they should depict in the museums, like uh, so much more evolved than yeah. these people. Where they were just grunting, they really didn't know how to talk. And Kyle and they they just threw rocks at things, and you know, there they were people just like we are. Yeah, well, for the longest time, their critics were saying that Abraham. In the time of Abraham, the writing didn't exist. That, but well, of course, and, and now that was Abraham a prob- probably didn't exist writing. in Abraham's time. But, but the, the criticism was it didn't exist in Moses's time, and we know that now that it did. But they may not have known how to write in Abraham's time. But Moses was inspired yeah. to tell the story of Abraham, uh, and and it's, we believe it's a literal story. But as we look at these lessons tonight, we need to remember these were people like us with the same concerns, the same their family, they had family concerns like ours. Uh, and uh, we can learn important lessons from them. Yeah, exactly right. So I'm not going to read. I, I picked out ten, so we'll have to go a little bit uh, rapidly through these, and I'm not going to read them ahead of time. We'll just go to them one by one. The first guy I picked out I think is a logical one to talk about, Noah. What about Noah? Get in the chat yeah. room if you haven't signed in already with your comments. <laughs> Sign in with the chat room tonight and, and share your comments. What do you, what's some one point you take about Noah and his family? So my question is, does Noah suggest that it is possible to have a godly family in an ungodly world? I think sometimes we get feeling sort of full of self-pity when we look at the world around us, and it's a pretty rotten place. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of bad stuff going on in the world around us. And maybe we feel like, you know, oh, we've got it rougher than anybody ever had here we are trying to serve God. We're trying to live godly lives. We're trying to raise our children. And, and the world all around us is so corrupt and wicked. We've got it harder than anybody has ever had it before. Uh, wrong. <laughs> that's, that's an incorrect analysis. As bad as it is, it's not as bad as it was in the days of Noah. If you could find one other family that's interested in doing right, it's not as bad as it was in Noah's <laughs> That's Noah right, because Noah literally was just his family. Right. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6... Verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here's a, here's a man and his family. We know that ones ultimately saved in the ark were Noah and Noah's wife 
and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, eight people saved from the whole world. So I, I know considerably more than eight people who are making a, a genuine effort to be faithful to the Lord. So our times are certainly not as bad as, as Noah's was. But the point of it is he succeeded. Even in that kind of an environment, he apparently succeeded in raising his sons to be faithful people who were also saved from the punishment of the flood. Uh, that, that's impressive. That's got to be impressive to us. Absolutely. And so the question, I guess, is how? Well, well, I was thinking about that. What, what was it? What, what, what was the trick to Noah? Well, I shouldn't even use that word. What, what were the principal elements that allowed Noah to raise his family faithfully in that wicked world? And I got to believe that, obviously, his devotion to God and his willingness to to do what he was told to do by God. His sons had to see that. When 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 Noah was given that incredible task of building the ark, and we we cannot understate, excuse me, we can't overstate how hard that would have been uh, in that day, and and without modern equipment to be able to accomplish the job. But he, he, he there's no indication that he quibbled or argued. He did what he was told. Uh, I think it really, after God told him to make the ark and all of its specification, chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 22, chapter 6 ends by simply saying, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. I don't know about you, Jacob, but if they could say that at my funeral, that would be a good epitaph. That's all you need. Sure. Yeah. That's all you Thus need. did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. You know, one thing I can think of here as I think about, uh, you know, having a, a godly family in an ungodly world, Noah wasn't afraid to be different. And you think about he was different before God made the decision that he was going to destroy the world. He certainly was different after as he's building this ark and no doubt getting a lot of ridicule and snide comments about what in the world is Noah doing? Noah's flipped his lid here. Noah's willing to be different in the world. And if, as we look at the, the, the ungodly world around us today, we're going to have to make sure that our family is willing to be different. And yeah. we're not going to get cozy up, cozied up to the world. We're not going to try and look like the world. We are perfectly fine with being the weirdos. Noah, I believe, was the weirdo in his society. We've got to make sure that we're willing to do that. But, you know, I've heard Christians say, I don't want my kids to be different. Yeah. Really? When you read the surveys about what... Young people, teenagers in America are like what they what they do, uh, how they how they live, how they dress, how they act. I want my kids to be different than that, and every Christian should want their children to be different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, Noah was willing to be separate. He's willing to be different than the world. That certainly had to make a, an impact on his family. Um, Andrew in the chat room asked an interesting question. I have thought about this myself, and I think it's a good question to ask. He says, were the sons of Noah saved because they were faithful or just because they were Noah's descendants? Did the Bible ever say his family was righteous? I, I don't think I could put my finger on any verse that, that specifies the righteousness of, of, of Noah's sons. There's a little bit of a sad episode that happened after the flood uh, where Shem and Japheth maybe uh, outshined Ham uh, in, in regards to how they acted. But I, I think I would have to argue that they, they themselves were also righteous people because 
If not, then God was a respecter of persons. If he punished all the other wicked people of the world with destruction, and here's Shimham and Japheth, and they were wicked people too, but they get in, they get to ride in on Noah's coattails. That would that would not be just. And our God is a just God. So I, again, I I I, I don't believe I can put my finger on a place that specifies their righteousness. But I would argue that, I, that that they surely were. They certainly, it appears, had faith to get in the ark before the flood came because uh, they weren't they weren't children at this time. They were probably well, they in, were married men. Well, they were probably in their hundreds. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Uh, so they 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 were free enough that they could have said, "Dad, we're not doing this. This is crazy." So they apparently had some faith to get in the ark at least. Dwight says, "My thought has always been that they were obedient to their father as well as God." Just my thoughts. Thank you for yeah, that, Dwight. Uh, Dwight, that, that had Dwight, sent in a, Dwight had sent in an email earlier. He said, Noah was a righteous man. He had a wife, three sons, sons old enough to have wives. All eight of these individuals were saved due, their, due to their obedience. They lived in a most wicked world because of the entire population of the world at this time. Only eight were saved. So I believe without doubt a godly family is possible, but not without working at it as godly parents need to. And I, that's, I, I really think Dwight has said a mouthful there when he said you're not going to raise a godly family without working at it yeah and they were literally working at it here yeah. as they're building the ark but we got to be working at it as well and 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 realize that we're different and that we're in a fight and we're in a fight for our not only our souls but our family's souls and we need to be working for it as dwight said you know i i have heard through the years you know so here's here's a family and they've got good children and somebody says, well, they're really lucky. They're lucky that their children haven't gotten into a lot of trouble. They're lucky that their children haven't caused them a lot of heartache and grief. Mm, it's not luck. It's not luck. I mean, it, it, it obviously is a, a, a result of effort and work and God's blessings, too. I don't think you right. do it without no, God's blessing. Right. But it's not just pure luck. Okay. Let's get a break. And then when we get back, uh, we, oh, we need to go on. Um, we're not going to get very far if we don't hurry. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go on. Next one we want to talk about is Abraham and talk about his leadership and determination to guide his family. Maybe you want to comment in the chat room or on the phone. How about give us a call during the break and talk about Abraham? One one thing that you sticks out in your mind, there's a verse in my mind that sticks out when I think about Abraham and his family. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Here's a quick thought. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, 10. For those in Christ, there is no fear. He will strengthen us and lift us up. He's our very present help in our time of need. Put your trust in him. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Integrity is Christ-like character in working clothes. Reputation is what people think of us. Character is what God knows about us. Personality is what you are with other people. Character is what you are when you are alone. Character is like the foundation of a house. It's below the surface. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. 
And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We looked at uh, Noah and the lessons we had to learn from him as we look at family lessons from the book of Genesis. Now on to Abraham. Yeah, we want to talk about Abraham because he's a great hero of faith. He's held up as an example numerous times in the New Testament. So he, he, he's a great man of God. There's just no doubt about it. And uh, one of the things that I think is impressive about him is is how he had the great determination to do the right thing and to lead his family. And you and I were talking, Jacob, there's, there's one verse that just almost stands out uh, in this regard. In Genesis 18, 19, uh, the Lord said, I know him, Abraham, that he will com- command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Uh, now you got to admit that's impressive that God Himself had that impression of Abraham. You know, I might deceive you or Kyle or somebody else and 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 give the impression that I'm something that I'm not, but I can't deceive God into a thinking about me in an inaccurate right. way. Right. This is an accurate view of Abraham expressed by the Lord Himself. That's pretty impressive. It is, and um, it certainly is. And you would only, you would only expect that from a man who had the faith of Abraham. Yeah. So, so now bring that to us, and that, and and the point of all this is, what lesson could we learn from that? I have to have that kind of commitment and determination, and my my children have to see that kind of consistency in my conduct and in my leadership, a family leadership. And to and to the extent that any of us fail in that, especially those of us who are fathers, and we all fail, but the, to the extent I fail in that, then I'm I'm hurting my family. To the extent my family can see me consistently doing the will of God in all circumstances, then I, then I'm being like Abraham, and I, and and I can expect a, a blessing from God like Abraham got. Don't you imagine that uh, Isaac learned that lesson as uh, Abraham was willing to sacrifice him? Uh, in order to be pleasing to God. I mean, that's there's an example of Abraham living it out for his children. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so there's a, oh, man, there's a Little League baseball tournament this weekend. And my son is the star pitcher on the home team. They have scheduled the game to start at 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Championship game. My son is the starting pitcher, and we will win. If he starts on the mound, we will win. If we're not there, there's not a chance. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, what would Abraham do in a circumstance like it? It's hard to believe that Abraham, who would be willing to sacrifice Isaac, would say, hey, Isaac, We'll miss church today so you can pitch the, the, the championship game in the Little League tournament. So, so he, would, he would sacrifice him on the mountain, but he's going to let him miss, miss the Lord's Day services in order to play Little League baseball. There's something wrong with that picture. Well, and you also got to think about consistency here, too, because Isaac now is going along, and Isaac's old enough to at least carry the wood for the fire. Um, this isn't just 
a one-time event in Abraham's life where he leads Isaac at this point. Abraham has been doing that throughout time in such a way that Isaac's willing to follow his father at this point. Yeah. You know, you don't just say, well, okay, we've been living any way we want for the last few weeks. We're going to church on Sunday and everything's going to be okay. No, he'd been doing this consistently for Isaac to follow. Uh, and, uh, and consistency has to be the key as we do lead our families. You know, and I think also we look at a lot of these stories and we think, well, somehow it must have been easy for them. It must have been easy for these people to be faithful to God. They didn't have the same kind of challenges and struggles that we had. Not so. Think about all the things that Abraham had to endure as he left his comfortable home in Ur and yeah. went where God didn't want him. He didn't tell him where to go. He just told him to go. And Abraham went. Yeah. And you think about and you think about leading your family along those lines. I don't know about Mrs. Abraham, Sarah, but chances are she wasn't really excited about this proposition. And Abraham led her through that and, yeah. and got her to where they needed to be. Yeah. Great. Um, He's a great, great example of faithful determination yeah. and leadership in his family. Okay. Not without some flaws. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But our next character to learn from is We need Lot. to get Dwight's comments. He says the determination to lead a family must be one of, of faith, believing and having faith in God no matter what, being determined to do the right thing, knowing that God will see us through life and realizing God knows what is best for us. Abraham led his family not knowing where he, they were going, but having faith, hope, and trust in God. He also went as far as being willing to sacrifice Isaac, his son. Great faith and great determination to be obedient to God. Yeah. Good, All right. Good observation. Uh, all right, let's go quickly to Lot. All right. Uh, we good on the chats? Abraham, or sorry, Andrew says there's some research to support the claim that children whose parents perform CREDs, credibility enhancing displays, such as making sacrifices of time and resources in commitment to their religion, are more likely to stay in the faith. Cool. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and you would suspect that, that apparently those studies. Uh, bear out what you would expect to be true. Yeah, and uh, sorry uh, there, uh, Andrew. Uh, well, they, they did. Okay, he broke it up so that it would uh, take some uh, length there. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Thank you. Good point. All right. Let's go to Lot. And the question asks How can our families be adversely impacted by a worldly environment and how can this be avoided? Lot's an interesting story, really interesting story. Remember, there, ha- there had been some contention between Abraham and Lot's herdsmen. Genesis 13, verse 7, there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. And Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou shalt take the left hand, then I will will go to the right, or if thou shalt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou uh, comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But notice this. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. There have been a lot of lessons taught on that text. Lot should have shown deference to Abram. Uh, Abram should have chose where he was going to go. But Abram, in his, in, we talked about what a great man Abraham was. He gave Lot the choice. Lot made a critical error in choosing to go to pitch his tent towards Sodom because 
it look like it would be materially, financially advantageous to do that. This is a well-watered plain. This will be great for my herds and flocks. What will it be for my family, though? And the, the men of Sodom already had a reputation. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Well, you know how the story turns out. He loses his whole family. Uh, his his wife is is turned into a pillar of salt when Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. His daughters are immoral with him, get him drunk and are immoral with him. I mean, he loses his family utterly. And uh, you have to, I think you have to pin it on his choice to put material things above the, the spiritual interest of himself and his family. His, uh, interesting, Second Peter chapter 2 says he was a righteous man. Second Peter chapter 2 says that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overflow, making them an example to all that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He was vexed by what was going on in Sodom. Reckon why he didn't leave Sodom. Why didn't he pull up his stakes and his family and move away? I don't know. I don't know the answer. The scripture doesn't give us the answer to that. But you have to wonder if, again, it was a bad mistake based upon financial considerations. And just because you may be determined to do the right thing, it may it may distru- dis- disturb you, all the evil around you. you got to be proactive about that. Uh, there's more than just you in the in the equation. you got a family involved here, and you need to be considered. Yeah, and I think this is really applicable in our day and age. You know, so here's a guy, and he's a, he's a, he's a professional guy. He has a career. He has a chance to go to this new job. He's going to double his income incredible opportunity for career advancement but he's going to be in a place where there are no faithful churches he's going to be in a place where there's not going to be good christians for his family to associate with should he do it well from a financial standpoint yeah absolutely but from a family leadership uh position and 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 simply from a taking spiritual considerations into account. No, you should not do that. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Dwight says our families can and will be impacted by the world if we allow such to happen. If we allow our children to participate in worldly activities, we can be assured we will have our hands full in trying to teach them about godliness. If we allow our children to lie, talk back to us in a disrespectful way, cheat, dress like the world, participate in the use of drugs, alcohol, premarital sex, we will have them set up for failure. The best way to avoid being impacted by the world is to teach our children and families at a young age about these things and practice godliness. Do not put yourselves or your family in compromising situations such as moving somewhere where there is no sound congregation or allow them to get a taste of worldliness at an early age thinking you can change them when they get older. Good points, Good points Dwight. Dwight. Yeah. We're on the same page there. Andrew says, I'm probably on the fringe with this idea, but I think that regarding finances, we should err on the side of First, Christians having all things in common and putting our focus much more on the next life. This life is extremely transient, and the next life is eternal. Why concentrate our time and resources developing healthy retirement accounts and buying nice houses? On the topic of focusing on the material, sorry if that comment seemed like it well, came out Well, I, I don't think it's left field. I, think, I, 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 I take your point, Andrew. I think it's a fair one. What were the first Christians like? They were obviously way more concerned about spiritual things than they were 
material things. Yeah. And we should be too. Yeah. Yeah. There's some judgment in that as to you know how big is it is big enough on the retirement account and what you know what's too much on the on the house and the car you're driving. But we got to make sure that we're keeping it in check there, Andrew. And I like your comments and your thoughts uh, that this world is not what's important. What it is important is the, the the life eternal, and we need to be focusing on that. I think that makes an impact on our families. Yes, exactly. Uh, if our families can see that that's what's important. Let's grab one more real quickly. We're a little off off time because we had a little blip there in our live stream. So let's take one more before we grab our, our half-hour break, Jacob. Let's take – and we can cover this one pretty quickly. We've been talking about how great a man Abraham was. He really was a friend of God, wonderful, wonderful Christian. But he wasn't flawless. And he, uh, he, he did something in Genesis chapter 20. We won't take time to read that. But you remember – that uh, there was an episode where he told Sarah to lie about being his wife because he was afraid that the the people that he was living around would see Sarah, who was apparently a beautiful woman. They'd want her. They'd kill him to get her. And so he said, tell them you're my sister, not my wife. Well, you know, people can kind of quibble that he he, he they were apparently half brother and sister, uh, same father, different mothers, but he, she was his wife. And, uh, and so, you know, the lie was told and, and, and King Abimelech of Gerar, I mean, rightfully chided Abraham when he found out, what have you done here? You know, you could have brought all kind of plagues upon us yep. from, yep. well, interestingly, that's in chapter 20 of Genesis in chapter 26 of Genesis, Isaac does exactly the same thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, so the, the point has been made, and I think, uh, I think the, the takeaway for us as family people is whatever I do, I can expect that my kids will take that to the next level. And so if, if I'm compromised, but I'm just compromising just a little, you know, I'm, I'm not, not, not going whole hog here, just a little compromise. But if I can do just a little compromise, you can pretty well, there's exceptions to the rule, but you can pretty well be assured that if I do just a little degree of compromise, my kids will, will do more. And, and so I, I think we can learn that from the example of Abraham and then Isaac imitating exactly the same thing he did. Yeah, here's what Dwight says. Parents are the, one of the first people children look up to when children see and hear what their parents do. They feel it is okay to do the same. Abraham told a lie of Sarah, and Isaac did the same of Rebecca. Yeah, exactly right. It's not the only time in history that we'll see that parents uh, sort of set the precedent and children follow in their footsteps, unfortunately. Um, And so um, we need to be aware that we're setting an example uh, to our family, and what kind of example is that? Yeah. All right. Let's, Let's grab a break. When we come back, let's talk about Isaac again, this time with his wife, Rebecca. Something about marital love. Let's talk about that. Uh, We're going to get a break. Get this week's bullet point. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of James P. Lusby. It never ceases to amaze this writer that people who are so meticulous concerning their physical well-being oftentimes become so careless about their spiritual welfare. People in our area will drive for miles to a little town in order to eat in a restaurant which is considered by many to have the best food and most reasonable prices. 
If we can save a few cents on clothing by shopping in another town, whether 10, 20, or even 100 miles away, we scarcely give it a second thought. Why, we would not think of buying our groceries at the store next door if the supermarket down the street or in the next town has the same items at a cheaper price. But when it comes to feasting on the word of the Lord with faithful brethren in a sound church a few miles away, the expression is heard, it's so far to drive. There must be something wrong with one's thinker who believes it's all right to drive a few miles in order to feed and clothe his body, but too far to drive in order to feed and clothe his soul. Brethren, is your spiritual well-being any less important than your physical welfare? Is 10 or 20 miles so far when your soul hangs in the balance? Your soul is too precious for you to worship in a church where there are unscriptural practices just because it happens to be a little closer to where you live. If you consider your soul more valuable than money, then worship with a faithful church. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Contact us anytime. Questions at collegeview.com. If you have a question about something you've heard or you'd like to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Star. Are you getting many topic suggestions these days? Uh, Dwight sent me a, a several suggestions for a potential smorgasbord program, but I haven't been getting a lot. So if you've got some, something, just a, a, a simple question that you'd like to be covered, doesn't have to take up a whole hour of our time. We'll do one of our smorgasbord programs, and so send us uh, any questions you have. And maybe it's not a question that you really, like, wonder what the answer is. Maybe you think you understand what the answer is, but you think it would be good to hear it discussed on this top, on this program. Send it in anyways. Yeah. And send us a softball every now and then. We, don't, yeah, we yeah, like softballs. Yeah. 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 And, uh, well, Kyle, I can't pass you up without uh, hearing about the uh, that YouTube channel. What was it again? I, yeah. Yeah, College View Livestream. That's live stream, what it was. Yeah. That's it, yeah. So, College View Livestream. Yes. We're going to be this on weekend, yeah. Lord willing, Friday night, Saturday night, and our, our time's on Sunday with the gospel meeting. So get on that College View Livestream. We're going prime time yeah. this weekend. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Look forward to it. Okay. All right, real quickly, uh, and, and we're, we're a little bit off base on our time, so we'll have to move kind of quickly here, Jacob. Isaac and Rebecca. And the point is, can marital love and happiness be learned? And the answer from them is absolutely yes. Genesis 24 
Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. When she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she had said to the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac married Rebekah. They had never met before. They'd never even seen one another. They'd never seen a photograph of each other before. Nope, nope, nope. And, but, but they met on that occasion. They immediately married. They, they were married for life. Interestingly, Isaac is one of the characters in that time frame when men, many, men, many, many Bible heroes had multiple wives. Isaac had one. He had Rebecca. Uh, and, uh, you know, so our takeaway from that is, you know, marital love, true, genuine, agape love for your wife is something that can be learned. You know, we, we, we're all about romantic love. Romantic love is a fine thing, but it has to be, in order for a marriage to succeed, it has to be more than that. Right. Romance fades, agape grows. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, you can learn to, you know, every once in a while, you know, you hear some, here's this old guy and he says, ah, I just don't love my wife anymore. I don't love her anymore. What should I do? There's a really easy answer to that question. You need to repent yep. and, and, and learn to love her again. Yep. So marital love and happiness can be a learned thing. We see that in Isaac and Rebecca. Good observations. Dwight says they had an arranged marriage, and Rebecca showed humbleness and respect to Isaac by covering herself in Genesis 24. Isaac also was comforted by his wife after his mother's death. Okay. All right. Good observations. Thank you, Dwight. And uh, Michelle. Michelle's not getting much credit here tonight, but uh, this is, uh, well, it is. Uh, this is Dwight's emails. All, All right. right. So... The next one on our list, we're, again, we're talking about family lessons learned from the book of Genesis. Kind of, don't you think it's kind of interesting how many family scenarios there are in the book of Genesis and how applicable they are to our day and time? Pretty amazing. Pretty you amazing. would maybe read Genesis and overlook some of this. Jacob. What about Jacob? Jacob and the dangers of parental favoritism. Genesis 37. Now Israel, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him all right so there was there were a lot of problems between Joseph and his brothers we're going to talk in a minute about their sibling relationships but Jacob contributed mightily to that in his overt favoritism toward Joseph. Uh, man, you just can't do that. I, I have known of parents who did show that kind of favoritism. It's, it's a bad thing. It's a hurtful thing. Yep. Uh, we've, got, we've got to make every effort to be impartial toward our children. And uh, I think the lesson of Jacob... And his favoritism toward Joseph surely teaches that. All right. Hey, and coming in the chat room, we got some clarity here. Uh, Dwight says that seven out of ten of tonight's answers were Michelle's input. Way to go, Michelle. So I'm going to call this one Michelle's answer here for this. Isaac showed favoritism to Esau, while Rebecca showed her favoritism towards Jacob. 
When Jacob grew up, he showed favoritism to Joseph and his brothers sold him into slavery. So in the long run, showing favoritism to one child over another can cause multiple problems in the family and have long-lasting effects. I think that's really a good tie-in that that Jacob potentially learned that sort of a thing from his mother. His mother favored him. His father favored Esau. And so he saw parental favoritism, and then he turned around and, and, and demonstrated it in his own family. Well, this is sort of an overarching principle that we can talk about here as we talk about these families is that they're generational impact. The way that I live my life today can have impact for, for generations, and I need to think about that. I do, and I think it's true, and, I, and I've tried to make this point before. Uh, you know, so a boy learns how to be a, a, a father and a husband by watching his dad. A girl learns how to be a wife and a mother by watching her mother. Right? And, and in that, you can learn good lessons, but you can also learn bad lessons, too. And so as parents, we need to really be on our toes. I mean, we're not going to be flawless in that. We're going to make our mistakes. But we got to realize that we have a generational impact, that our descendants will parent like we parented. Our descendants will relate in their marriages like we related in our marriages. we got to be aware of that. It's generational. It's important how we're living our lives today. It may impact our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren, even if they don't even know who we are. The influence that we set today may have an impact on them. We need to be aware of that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Number seven, Isaac and Rebecca. And the point we took away from that is in the case of Isaac and Rebecca, parents must work as a team, not as opponents. And that goes to that episode that that we were just talking about in Genesis chapter 27, where Rebecca helped Jacob to deceive his father in receiving the family blessing. Uh, she was so determined to have her boy get the blessing instead of, of of the one who rightly would have had it. Esau, the firstborn, the oldest, would have had the family blessing. But she was so determined that she assisted Jacob in literally dressing up to deceive his father. Uh you get the idea there. We talked before about Isaac and Rebecca, a lifelong marriage, a lifelong commitment in their marriage. Obviously, it was not without some issues. And, and you see those issues there where they seem to be almost polarized or acting as a, as adversarial opponents to one another. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, and that certainly was harmful and it harmed the children. Uh, they they suffered for that. Uh, Dwight and Michelle said when parents oppose each other in raising children, raising disciplining their children, this causes problems in the family. Isaac and Rebecca showed favoritism, and because they were not on the same page, so to speak, one son lost his birthright, and the sons did not get along. As a matter of fact, when Jacob heard his brother was coming, he was worried about Esau's reaction to seeing him again. So yeah, lots of family turmoil there. He was even afraid that Esau would kill him. I mean, he literally was afraid for his life and his family. Yep. So it was a bad deal. And Isaac and Rebecca, uh, they they have to take a lot of the accountability for that. Right. All right. Let's grab our last break, Jacob. When we come back, we've got three to cover quickly. Uh, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Laban, Joseph and his brothers, Potiphar and uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Wow. 
Uh, lots to talk about still, but I think we might make it. We're going to get a break and go to the top of the hour right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey shows that 59% of all U.S. adults report being very satisfied with their marriage. But that figure was much higher among practicing Christians and stood at 73%. Overall, 65% of men reported being very satisfied with their marriage, while just 52% of women reported the same. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Ephesians 5, verse 33, Let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, looking at family lessons from the book of Genesis. Lots of those tonight. Maybe some lessons that you, or some incidences there you've overlooked as you read through the accounts of Genesis that are certainly there uh, and important lessons for us to learn. Okay, the next one that we suggested is Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Of course, Jacob was married to Leah and Rachel. Leah and Rachel's father was Laban. And uh, there there was a lot of trouble in that family. And Laban, I think everybody's impression of Laban is he was less than a wonderful guy. Uh, And he had apparently taken pretty good advantage of Jacob while Jacob was there working for him. Laban was Jacob's uncle. Laban was the brother of Jacob. Jacob's mother, Rebecca. And so Jacob had fled to, to and, and was at, as was working for Laban for a number of years, but it, what, it had gone south. Laban seems he was taking advantage of him. And in Genesis chapter 31, Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, to thy kindred, I will be with thee. And Jacob call, uh, sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field and to his flock and said, uh, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And so, you know, he, he basically puts a challenge to Rachel and Leah. You're going to have to decide between me and your dad. And uh, if you skip down to verse 14, Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? In other words, they were ready to go with Jacob. Uh, probably everybody listening tonight have known situations where families had big trouble from in-laws, in-laws who wouldn't leave the situation alone, uh, interfered in, in uh, finances, 
interfered in child rearing, uh, interfered in a lot of different ways, and it doesn't work. It, yeah. it is, and and so I think Rachel and Leah, who you know had their issues as well, but I think here a takeaway might be that they understood that their primary responsibility was to their husband, not to their father. And I, I think all married people could learn a lesson from that. Well, here's what, Dw- here's what Dwight and Michelle said. According to Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man should leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In this situation, Laban switched wives on Jacob, wages, and how long he was to work for him. At some point, Jacob had to make a decision for his own family and be on their own without Laban. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, good. Okay. All right. Um uh, Next one we had on our list, number nine. We're trying to get ten of these in, and there's actually more. I mean, I picked out ten, but there's actually more family kind of lessons probably we can learn from Genesis. But I was thinking about Joseph and his brothers. We already talked about the favoritism that Jacob showed to Joseph, and his brothers hated him. Joseph had also received revelatory dreams uh, indicating that he would rule over his brothers, and that really incensed them as well. They did not like that at all. We, we all know the story, how that they were out in the field. When, they, when, when Joseph came out to see about them, they caught him, were, were very sincerely tempted to kill him, but... Instead, they sold him to traveling merchants who took him to Egypt, and he ended up a slave. Uh, that's just how bad sibling relationships can become. Yep. A- and again, you got to lay a lot of the blame of that at Jacob, the father's feet, for, for the favoritism that he had shown. And you got to believe, but it's, you have to believe that Jacob's failure was not just in showing favoritism to Joseph. You have to think that he had been a pretty bad parent otherwise that his sons would even consider killing one of their brothers. And so, you know, again, this is a generational situation. What what do our kids learn from us and how will they relate to one another and future generations based upon what they learn from us? But I was I, I think what you gotta particularly be impressed with Joseph in this whole episode in Genesis chapter 50, uh, after Jacob had died uh, in Egypt, mm-hmm. the brothers were down in Egypt with Joseph, and they yeah. were afraid that he would take vengeance on them. Yeah. But in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, Joseph said to his brothers, Fear not, for I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones and be comfort. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Uh, very impressive comments there from Joseph when he was literally in a great position to take full vengeance upon his brothers who had done him so wrong. So, you know, a bad situation can be mended. Maybe that's a, t- a family takeaway from this, that this is a bad family situation. But because Joseph had a right attitude, he, he, it could be mended. Joseph says, am I in the place of God? It's not revealed in Genesis anywhere that jo- that was written, but God evidently had revealed that vengeance is his. He will repay, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Joseph understood that it was God's place to take vengeance. He wasn't going to take it there. Um, here's what uh, Dwight and Michelle said. Because of the favoritism shown by Jacob, Joseph's brothers disliked him to the point of faking his death to their father and selling him 
It's so important that we love our children and each other the same way uh, without favoritism one over another. And then Andrew in uh, in the chat room says, I, I always wondered why firstborn blessings were a thing. That seems like favoritism as well, but it seems God occasionally used this improper way of dealing with your children to affect his plans. Well, uh, what about that firstborn thing? Was that, uh, that was, was that an idea given by God or was that just a cultural thing? No, uh, I don't know about that. I'd have to think about that. I, you just ask a question I've never considered. But, the, but we understand that in this patriarchal system that, that the headship of the family rolled over to the firstborn of the next generation. That was just the way it, it happened. I mean, that, that, that was in that time and under that arrangement, that's the way it was handled. I don't know that it was, I don't, in other words, the fact that Jacob under normal conditions would have blessed Esau as the subsequent head of the family, uh, that not, doesn't necessarily suggest he favored Esau so much as that's just the way it was. I think he did favor Esau, but that's the way it, that's the way it typically would happen in families under that dispensational time. Well, here's a rabbit alert, but I think we have a little time to chase it. Andrew says, uh, talking of Joseph, he still took a little vengeance, didn't need to subject his brothers to the anxiety and fear that they experienced, but he definitely could have done worse. Yeah. Was Jesus, or was Joseph being vengeful there uh, when he sort of roughed him up a little bit? When they first came down there and he didn't identify himself and, and, and kind of put some stress harshly. on him. I wonder about that, and I don't know. I, I wouldn't fall out over it, but and that may have been a way to get them to come come around to to admitting or acknowledging their their sins and it also was a way i think for him to find out their character to see if they were still the brothers that had sold him into slavery or had they changed some yeah i think it was maybe a test possibly so possibly a couple ways to look at it yeah okay all right finally what about joseph and potiphar's wife this is a household situation uh, and you know the story, and we won't, we don't have time to read it because we're just almost out of time. But in chapter 39 of Genesis, you remember that Joseph was a handsome young man, and he was left alone by Potiphar to see about the household affairs. Uh, and Potiphar's wife, who was obviously not a good person, yeah. uh, lusted after him and desired to have uh, intimate relations with him, and he resisted. But the the question is raised could could that sort of a situation have been avoided by taking certain precautions about the household circumstances uh, don't don't let that be the case don't let it be the case where a handsome young man is in the house with my wife and they are alone uh you know and 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 we may be straining at a gnat here but the the point of that is i i wanted to take make a broader application of that that we need to we need to arrange our houses and equip our houses and operate our houses in such a way as to limit times of temptation. So I've got a teenage son, and I let him have a TV with all the cable channels in his own bedroom. Mm-hmm. I let him have a computer in there with full unhindered access to the internet. I tell you what, I mean, it just it just you're not just asking for trouble, you're begging for trouble. You know, 
He doesn't need that TV in his room. He doesn't need to have the computer in his room. And if he needs to be on the computer to do schoolwork, he needs to be out in the family area where there's always someone looking over his shoulder. And if there's not someone else there, he should not have access to that. So we, uh, I've just taken the case of Joseph with Potiphar's wife to say, as the heads of families, fathers, husbands, equip your households in such a way to avoid temptation. Yeah, we don't have to have certain things in our lives. Now, there are certain, the devil, just because we can maybe get some things out of our houses, out of our lives, doesn't mean the devil's not going to have any way to get to us. But why not take away some of his, his angles and some of his avenues? Be proactive about that, I think is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, you're not going to be able to, to remove all temptations from your children's path. They're going to have to learn to deal with temptation like we all do. But you can sure help them, especially in their early years and their adolescence. Yeah, be proactive. Yep. Here's what Dwight and Michelle said. This is a great example of how to flee from temptation. We should never put ourselves in that type of predicament to begin with. But in Joseph's case, he found himself in a situation and did the right thing. We can learn something from his example. This, when sin presents itself, get away from it. Do not draw close to it. If in a burning house, we don't stay in it, we flee from it to save ourselves. Sin is the same way. It has a way of creeping uh, in, being undetected. We need to have our spiritual armor on to protect us from temptations. Good point. Thank you, Dwight and Michelle, for your good comments tonight. Yeah. So, some good family lessons from the book of Genesis, I think. And again, I just stress what we said in the introduction it's pretty incredible that these things happened thousands of years ago, but they're certainly applicable to the present age. All right. Good discussion. Very important lessons for us to think about. Our families are so important. We need to do everything we can to have healthy families and families that are isolated and insulated from the wickedness that is around us. And so some good lessons for us to consider tonight. Kyle, final thoughts from you tonight. That's a good day. I think we can't help but take life lessons and as we read about how these parents are interacting with their children and wonder, or like, why would they do that? But then how can you, you got to look at yourself. You got to like, well, am I doing that to my own family and my children? So yeah. we got to make sure that we're using these applications and right. lessons from the Bible. That's, yeah, that's what you got to be for. honest. You got to be honest with yourself. I think you're exactly right. Don't forget our gospel meeting this weekend at college view, Friday, Saturday night at seven and Sunday morning, nine thirty, ten thirty, Sunday afternoon, two thirty. You will not be sorry if you come and hear Paul Smithson preach the gospel of Christ. Uh, amen to that. Uh, so and uh, so if I I don't remember those times, where can I find out what they are? On our website, collegeview.com. Collegeview.com. All right, and Kyle, um, you're not taking any blame for the outage tonight, right? Uh, no, we'll but, to, YouTube won't let us edit the videos immediately after they they close, but. We'll have to come back and try to patch two parts together and make one video out of tonight's show. Kyle, you worked hard, though, to get back up. Thanks for helping us out there yeah, tonight. It's all good. And thank you for being here. We hope you benefited and uh, from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.